to Sugar Coated. I'm your host, Adrian Garland, the CEO and founder of She Leads Media. For far too long, women have been conditioned to sugarcoat their words, their actions, and the way they show up in the world, and to conform to certain cultural norms and ideals. This is inherently designed to keep those who are outside of the norm from gaining power, prestige, wealth, and influence, preventing more women from being recognized and respected as the powerful leaders that we truly are. Join me each week as we dive into raw conversations with remarkable, uncompromising, and inspirational women that will encourage you to strip away your sugar coating and move boldly in the direction of your magnificent dreams. Well, I just finished my incredible conversation with Wendy Kai Lee, the CEO of Piermont Bank. And I'm super excited to share this conversation with you uh, because Wendy talks about finances for women. And this is a very important topic. Women must get comfortable with talking about money and finances and advocating for what it is that we need, especially when women have businesses. Uh, So many women that I know and that I've spoken to and that are clients of mine have financed their business with credit cards. And what ends up happening is their credit scores get affected. If you miss a payment or if you're late on a payment, it reduces your credit score, which then prevents you from being eligible to get a loan. Or if you do get a loan, you get a worse interest rate or you get, uh, you don't, you're not able to borrow as much. There's a whole host of you know, penalties, if you will, that are associated with a lower credit score. And when women don't have access to financing, what do we do? We do what we have access to and we use things that we have access to, like our credit cards. But in this conversation, you'll hear from Wendy how she advocates going to a bank and having a discussion on where you are with what your financing needs are and what you need in order to grow your business with stage that you're in. I'm so excited to be able to share this conversation with you that I had with Wendy because she talks about keeping your head down, working hard, and having the end goal in mind. And I think that in today's climate that we can get distracted with some things, but we need to focus on what the end goal is. And somebody like Wendy is a huge inspiration to me because she is now the CEO of a bank. And I believe that she is the only woman CEO of a bank in the United States, which is a sad state of affairs that there's only one woman, but hopefully things will change. So please listen in to this beautiful conversation that I have with my new friend, Wendy. And, uh, you know, please check out Piermont Bank. This isn't in any type of an endorsement for them. I just think that it is a, a very forward-thinking bank that is committed to women entrepreneurs and women leaders. And we all know that uh, women will play a much greater part in our world uh, and in economies in the coming 
weeks, months, years, and decades from now. So please listen in to my beautiful conversation with Wendy Kiley, CEO of Piron Bank. Hi, everybody. This is Adrienne Garland, and welcome to Sugar Coated, a podcast where we discuss anything and everything without sugarcoating what we're talking about. So I am absolutely thrilled to be talking to my guest today. Her name is Wendy Kai Lee, and she's the CEO of Paramount Bank. And I just love Paramount Bank, even though I don't bank there, and I'm going to say yet, when you sort of research Paramount Bank and you see how they talk about themselves, they say they're women-focused, entrepreneur-led, and technology-fortified. Just yes, heck yes, to this bank. It is truly women-founded. It's women-led. There is a board of directors that are made up of a majority of women. And it's a new bank that was established quite recently. So you can see why I'm thrilled to be talking to the CEO of Piermont Bank. Uh, welcome, everybody, and say hi, Wendy. Hello. So it's great, Adrian. Thank you so much for having me here. It is really great to be able to share my journey as, uh, you know, as the CEO. Also, more importantly, building a bank that's really the only bank in the U.S. out of the 5,000-some banks that's a female, has a female CEO, female board chair, and a female majority board. So obviously, we have a keen interest in supporting women-owned, women-led female entrepreneurs, especially during a time where we are all facing a, obviously, not just a health crisis, but a financial crisis. So hopefully, you know, through today, through platforms like this, I'll be able to share more uh, with uh, more people in terms of how, you know, what are the resources out there in helping female-led companies. Yeah, I mean, I think that that is one of the most important things is sort of women and finance and especially women who start businesses. You know, there are so many statistics and research out there about how women leverage credit cards in order to, you know, finance their business. And what ends up happening is their credit scores get hurt because of that and they are less likely to be given loans. It just creates this whole entire cycle and it's unfortunate. I'm really curious how Piermont Bank sort of came to be and then how you came to be part of Piermont Bank. So maybe you could just give us a little bit of background on the bank and then uh, tell us a little bit about your story. Sure. So um, Piermont Bank, it's actually quite simple. So Piermont Bank was designed uh, and launched with the sole focus in supporting small and mid-sized companies. And what we meant by that is, you know, companies that needs loans between a million to 10 million. Um, we also have been supporting small business through a lot of the SBA sponsor programs as well. So the idea is that, you know, after 26 years of being banking and seeing just the pinpoints, both from the client side, meaning banking clients, as well as internally 
um, in how banks are run and operated. I just thought that there's got to be a much more efficient and more practical way to provide banking solutions and products to small business owners. So that was really it. And we, I thought it was the perfect timing because with all the financial technologies that have been developed and proven uh, and has been put into the marketplace in the last decade, right, since the 2008 financial crisis, it really is time to have a bank that truly can bridge between a fintech and the traditional bank where we can do things much faster, right? We can, you know, for example, at Paramount, we do our loan decisioning three days versus three weeks mm. at a traditional bank. So it is just about building a much more practical, official, efficient platform for small to mid-sized companies. So that's the entire premise for Paramount Bank. Paramount as an idea was conceived and uh, by me and uh, back in 2017. And it took uh, some time to put the capital deck together as well as to get through the chartering process. Mm. So uh, we are the first and the only fully charter commercial bank since the financial crisis uh, for the state of New York. Amazing. So, so many firsts. And uh, I mean, I just love that you saw that need in the marketplace because it's clearly there and you you did what it took in order to get the charter and raise the funds in order to launch this bank right i'm i'm so happy to be talking to you and helping you to spread the word that Piermont is a resource for women entrepreneurs you know many women entrepreneurs that start their business don't necessarily look to get loans that are in the million dollar mark. But I also do know that it's really important to establish a relationship with the bank because hopefully at some point down the road, you will need that greater level of financing. So like how can people who, you know, might not be in that category of, oh, I need a million dollars. How can they start to establish a relationship with Piermont? Right. So that's a great point, Adrian, that not everybody starts out with with the need nor qualify right for a seven figure loan. With that said, it is so important that as an entrepreneur, you start out and your business from day one by building, finding a bank. Right. It doesn't have to be Piermont, finding a bank who is willing and willing to listen and understand your story, your needs. Hmm. So. Even at traditional banks that you may not qualify for their loan, but they have the ability, right? At Piermont, for example, we will connect early stage entrepreneurs to um, CDFIs, to early stage financing platforms that have the support of the government, right? So the CDFIs like a LIFT fund, for example, L-I-F-T, LIFT fund, which is also started and chair and run by a woman and they do loans that's $50,000, $25,000 and find a bank that can help you educate you, right? And guide you through that process is when do you need what, right? So after these CD, like government supported CDFI funds, then there's the SBA program. Within the SBA program, the Small Business Administration, you have different types of SBA program with guarantees that again is to bridge you to a point where you can be independent enough and strong, mature enough, I should say, that where you go to the bank for their senior lending, right? We call it a senior lending. So there are just all these resources that frankly, even if the bank doesn't offer directly, 
you need to find a bank who's willing to get you there, right? Uh, sort of refer you to the right place. And so that because whether you start out with a CDFI or SBA fund or any other type of lending, you still need a banking partner, mm -hmm. right? That can manage your cash because it's not just opening a checking account. It's finding that bank that who can help minimize the fees that you end up having to pay just on the deposit side of the, uh, yeah. of the equation. So I think that is why it's so important to find, I keep saying, right size your bank partner. Mm -hmm. Find a bank that who's willing to, and who understands your pain points. Yeah, you know, I, I think that because there's been so much attention on venture capital financing and even, you know, angel investing, crowdfunding, all of that, I think so many people don't even consider bank, a, a bank, you know, like a traditional bank. Um, and so I'm, I'm loving that there's this message here that, you know, when I hear so many people and even people that I work with that I, you know, some of my smaller clients that are looking for funding, so many women look to venture capital financing um, because this is something that we hear a lot about. We read a lot in the newspaper. There's, you know, these unicorn companies that have gone out and they do their pitch decks and they they look to venture capitalists for their initial financing. And it's funny that banks are not part of this conversation of like options. You hear you hear uh, advice about getting loans, but there's almost a like a um a resistance to getting a loan because oh, you have to pay loans back, but there are many other disadvantages to going down the venture capital finance route as well. So what would you say to someone and I understand that every case is is different, but what would you say to, you know, a, a female entrepreneur that is looking to get some financing in order to get her business started. And she's thinking, well, I need to put together, you know, a business plan and then start shopping it around to venture capitalists. Do you think that that is, you know, across the board, the, the right approach? Or what type of advice would you potentially give? Yeah, so that's, that's also a great point um, and question as well in terms of when to get what type of financing. Yeah. It's, it really comes down to cost, right? Because loans seem to have, it's more expensive, but it's actually cheaper than equity, meaning cheaper than money, taking money from venture capitalists and private equity. Because equity is the most expensive financing yes. because you're giving away your ownership. Yes. Loans, whether it's 4%, 6%, 12%, right? That there is... Once you repay, when you get to a point you have the ability to repay, then you get to maintain all the upside of your business. Mm. Now, again, that's a balance because at different juncture of your business, it's all, in my view, it's always a combination of different financing, yes. right? So when you're starting out, of course, you, no banks or no platforms are willing to lend you money. So you want to start out with angel investors, right? Um, and then you grow to the point where you bring in uh, your, your round series A or series B, you involve VCs, right? The more institutional money. At the same time, you should never forget 
that how can I substitute right the equity with some debt,、mm. right? So it's not one or the other. In my view, like I said, it's always good to have a combination of financing in place. Do you guys have resources for people、um, so that they can do some research around this? Because I I agree with you wholeheartedly. It's really a combination. It's really understanding that there is a cost to equity that goes beyond the numbers. Because even with you know. You're inviting people and their opinions into your business, and there's the potential that you can lose control. With a loan, the only thing that you're sort of on the line for is paying the money back. So no one's at a bank. I mean, I'm sure that you'll get advice and you know help, but your banker is not going to tell you to change your business model. And if you don't, then they're pulling their money. <laughs> That's correct, and you know, in an ideal situation, is that you have a banker who are giving you advice, not in terms of the need to how to change your business model, but helping you marry financing needs that's reflective of your business model. Yeah, right. That would be a good banker, because、mm-hmm. you know, it's not just about like I said, opening a checking account or,、right. or giving you that fifty thousand dollar. It's when to give you what. So here, like for at Piermont, we also do not overextend credit to people. So we have business that can, you know, if they want to borrow, frankly, twenty million,、um, they have the capacity to do so. But we always tell them, you don't need it. You don't need it. Then don't incur the cost of paying unused fees on these loans. So finding that bank partner that who again. I go back to my first point: is that really somebody who's willing to spend the thirty minutes, the sixty minutes, to understand your story? Yeah, you, you know, how do you handle this issue? That you know, perhaps、uh, an entrepreneur will come to you and they'll say. You know, look. I started my business. I financed it initially with some credit cards. I made some. You know, I, I missed a couple of payments, but you know, I really need that fifty thousand dollar loan in order to buy the equipment to take my business to the next level. You have the traditional things, you know, that you look at for that business, and you see, ooh, that business owner, you know, woman business owner, her credit is bad. Now that's because maybe she wasn't able to get a, a loan, or she didn't understand, and so that's why she used her credit card. So she got herself into this situation, which I have heard the story, you know, time and time again. So then, what ends up happening is then her credit isn't great, and it's even more difficult to, you know, find a, a, a loan, a traditional loan. Do do you, as a you know, sort of a, a women focused bank, do you take those factors into consideration? Yeah. So,、um, score credit score obviously is important, right? Because the banks are we are a regulated entity. So even if you have a bank or bankers at a bank who's willing to be more flexible, at the end of the day, we have to adhere to certain examination requirement, right?、Mm-hmm. So when, why do you make certain exception? When do you make exception? So we have to actually address those. So to more, I think practically,、um, Adrian, address your question is that in cases like that, my advice would be to focus on. 
essentially paying off those credit card debt or that at least make those debt current, meaning not so that you improve your credit score because that is really important, right? You can have the debt, but you don't need to have bad credit score. Yeah. That's two different things. And do people have to be embarrassed? Like, because this is the other thing. It's like there is a lot of embarrassment around money, around credit scores. You know, maybe I'm I'm not going to want to walk into Paramount Bank and say like, oh, my credit sucks. Can you help me? What would you (laughs) what would you say to, you know, somebody? Would you still encourage them to come in? And I mean, look, money is money. It's not a reflection on on you as a human being, as an individual. Yeah. So my, I would encourage them that don't be shy to have those conversation, right? And the conversation should be, okay, if I fix my credit score, right? Yep. When can I talk to you? Yeah. When will you be willing to talk to me? Yeah. Right? Have those understanding, right? So the banker, the bank should be, should, in my view, a good banker should say, okay, if you get your credit score back to X, okay? Mm-hmm. And if your revenue meets this mark, that's when we can talk, mm. right? That's the conversation you should have. Now, here, let's assume that, okay, what's been done is already done, right? That was your question, Adrian, right? right? Exactly. Uh, yep. You don't really have the $50,000 cash uh, to pay off the outstanding debt to fix your credit, okay? Let's just assume the worst case scenario. Yeah, good. <laughs> and to, your, to your point earlier, you actually also need another $20,000 to buy the equipment. Otherwise, your business will be further hindered, right? From a growth standpoint. Yep. So now what do you do? That's when you go for equity debt. <laughs> mm. That's when you try to raise some money from friends and family or from angel investors, because that's unfortunately when you need to give up part of your business in exchange so that you get yourself out of a sort of a no win situation. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Or you you come up with some new product line and, and make some revenue and pay off that damn credit card. <laughs> right. Yeah. And often it takes money to make money. It right. Does. That's the um, that's usually the, the reality. Yeah. So how do you make money when you don't have the money to create either the product or even to pay your vendor? to create the actual product for you, yeah. right? Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. 100%. So, yeah. Yeah, so that's when you, I would advocate, that's when equity investment should kick in. So Wendy, I, I mean, I have so many, I have a million questions for you. So I, I guess just focusing on the bank still, because I, I want to go back to you too, because I'm so interested in you as a person. But does the bank also have sort of some of these resources this is going to be a two-part question like do does the bank have resources that people can go and explore and research and everything and then if somebody wanted to you know get in touch with the bank and have these conversations how exactly do they do that like do they pick up the phone do they walk in like what do they do right so let me answer your second question first that's the easier one is that Piermont at least is very digital so you can get a hold of somebody at Piermont via our website. And we, as a bank, we guarantee response within 24 hours. So it's not like it goes into a black hole and you hope for the best that somebody will call you back. (laughs) Um, I I can't speak for other banks in terms of their turnaround. So for banks that have branch locations, uh, in-persons, I say you just walk in there. You just say, hey, I need to make an appointment, right? Right. But for banks, like you, you have... A lot of new banks now, you know, really focus on the digital route, right? So reach out to them. So that's the easier 
a question of the two. Mm-hmm. For your first question in terms of resources, again, speaking for Piermont is that if you reach out to us, we will direct you to uh, resources where they can help, like they can answer your question. Depends on the stage of your business and depends on your need, right? Mm-hmm. We have a Rolodex of, I won't say partners, but partners as well as networks where we believe that where we think that can be most helpful to you based on your situation. Mm. So I just think that it is so important for women to be able to speak the language of finance and to not be afraid to talk about money, to not be afraid to ask questions, to sort of not feel embarrassed. How did you get into this whole banking finance world? Because it's not a traditional path for women, unfortunately. Oh, um, well, (laughs) that's literally uh, my career from day one, meaning as far back as a freshman in college. <laughs> so uh, I, I'm, a, I'm an economics finance major. I, um, I was lucky enough to get an, an internship with a bank mm. at, a, at, a, at a commercial bank. And then I was able to get receive multiple offers from Wall Street firms. This is back in the early mid 90s. Mm. Um, so it's been my fortune, I guess, for me, fortunate been uh, the access was there from day one, right? And fortunately for me, it turns out to be something that I actually very much enjoy doing, right? Think about it, how often where we start out our career or our academic career in something and then later on to find out that, yeah, we really have no passion for it, right? So for me, I, I actually really love what I do. And I joke about that, the fact that this is all I know how to do. <laughs> so um, it, it, now that said, the path was never that was n- never always smooth. Yeah. Uh, what do I mean by that? You know, especially uh, in a front line, we call it a front line production role, sales role. Early in the early days, you do see fewer women. Right. Yeah. So it is literally about staying staying in the game. So yeah. my mm. class, uh, my class at my first bank uh, was 25 people, half from undergraduate, half from um, MBA schools. Mm-hmm. So they designed that by on purpose. And um, by the end of the first year, half of us were gone. Yeah. Yeah. By the end of the second year, <laughs> another half were gone. <sighs> so it was really about, you know, knowing what sort of makes you happy in the morning uh what you know for me is i wake up in the morning thinking about oh okay today i gotta resolve that issue right i uh, very in in a very boring way i fundamentally enjoy what i do did you always have a an eye toward uh like women in finance or is that something that you came to later um I, uh, because it was my academic training, so it became a, early on, it became a least, uh, a path of least resistance, <laughs> so to speak, right? That's your academic training. Um, but it was also highly advocated by my parents, uh, mm-hmm. who I obviously respect their opinion a great deal. And um, also by, a little bit by accident too, uh, meaning that even though I had internship with the bank, um, I had the academic training. I actually envisioned myself to be in foreign service. 
Mm. So I try very hard trying to get into the State Department, the, then CIA, then FBI. Basically, yeah, me too. Try all those venues. <laughs> um, you know, I passed the written exams, but never made it. You know, yeah. through all the rounds. Yeah. Uh, for different reasons, and um, it got to a point where you know I basically was told that listen, out of the four Wall Street offers, just take one and move on. <laughs> right. You know, yeah. that's so funny. I, I share with you, my major in undergrad was economics. And uh, one of the first things that I did when I graduated from college is I went and I sat for the exams for the CIA, for the FBI. Mm-hmm. I Oh my gosh, like I, hearing you say that is is just awesome. I mean, I wanted to be some type of like investigator and you know, finding crime in, you know, in the monetary system and everything like that. And that sort of didn't work out for me. I had a different path in finance because I did start out in finance. I was, I was one of these, um, you know, young women that have an ability for math. And I always loved math. I always did very well in math. And, you know, it's, it's why I did well in economics and why I went into finance. And I actually started my career out in equity research and investment banking. And I went back to get my MBA at NYU Stern in finance. I was so happy that, you know, I was accepted into that program and really, really, you know, hell bent on being, you know, a woman leader in the finance industry. And I worked at a company before I quit. I worked at a company called GKN Securities and they were doing some some things that I saw and they ended up getting fined for. And I really... I really soured on the whole, you know, finance industry. And I just thought that it was very chauvinistic. And I ended up having, you know, not a great experience. And so I didn't stay in the game. And I, I switched and I, I, you know, went through marketing. And I always am very proud that I have financial acumen. I, I'm very comfortable with numbers. And that served me really, really well in, in marketing. But I definitely did not have a good experience in the finance world. So when I talk to women that have, you know, gotten far like you, and and I mean, you're a CEO of a bank, that is incredible. And I just, I want to see more women get to those positions. It, it's something that I aspired to do. And you know, I won't say that I couldn't hack it, but I didn't want to be in it anymore because I just thought that the odds were so stacked against a, a woman. And I never had that. I never had that experience going through college or high school. I never felt like, uh, you know, oh, the men are trying to hold me down. It wasn't until I got out into the work world that I saw all this like crap that went on. <laughs> And, yeah. you know, I'm just wondering, I mean, you, you, you stayed in the game, which is amazing. Did you, did you experience any type of, you know, anything? Did you experience anything that was sort of negative and you, you were able to either correct it or, you know, push past it? I would just love to kind of hear that. And I think my audience would love to hear that too, to really just make it, make it real. Like th- this was not smooth sailing, I assume for you. No, no, I, I, yeah, I'd be totally lying, frankly. Yeah. <laughs> it's not even practical um, to for somebody uh, to stand here and say it was smooth, smooth sailing. No, not at all. 
you know, have I seen things that I, I didn't like, I didn't agree with? Uh, absolutely. You know, to me, I think it was more important that once I really got into banking and realized that I actually like what I, what I was doing and what I am obviously currently still doing, is that here, you know, you get to the table first, then you can make a difference, yeah. right? Yeah. So for me, maybe it was the naive part of me. So I, I did sort of do this whole, you know what, I'm going to keep my head down and I'm going to keep focus, focusing on what I want to accomplish and what I want to learn and what I want to take away from this job. And I looked at every position I had was an opportunity to get me not so much climb the ladder, but get me the skill set so that I can actually one day get to the table, so to speak. Yeah. Right. So, you know, it, it was really that of also understanding that, hey, at the end of the day, you cannot change things that's outside of your control, yeah. meaning that you can you you need to. I always told myself that focus on Wendy, focus on what you can control, focus on what you can influence. Right. Yeah. And then bit by bit, hopefully one day that ability that uh, to, to influence more continues to increase. So that was really it. Mm. And then also always hoping and envisioning that things will get better, especially as a minority, meaning from a, you know, being a woman, right. As a minority. So yeah, that the naiveness help to yeah, be very honest. No, I think that that's great. And I, I totally respect that and understand that too. And I, it, it makes me wonder, were you, did you have anybody that you could talk to? Like, did you have a mentor or were your parents yes. really encouraging? So th- one of the big thing, and I'm sure your audience have heard this before, I always emphasize there's a big difference between a mentor and a champion. Yeah. Yes. You need champion. Because mentor is great, right? To talk to, to bounce ideas from, but you need champion that will take you along with them. Yeah. And that is so much more critical in the world of finance. Yeah. In my view, I think it's important in every industry, but in a very male dominated uh, industry, you really do need that champion to, to take you along with them. And from my experience, it has always been the men. And it's been, unfortunately, the women that who basically said, no, no, they, a lot of them, they view that since there's only once they think that there's only one seat at the table for a woman and they want to make sure that they keep everybody else out versus, hey, we should bring more women to the table yep. so that we don't have this issue of fighting for that one seat. Yeah, I agree with you. And I had that experience too. Yeah. Yeah. It's been the man that's been my champion. That's amazing. That's so good. And I think that that's such a, a good message too, that, that, you know, so many times and it's so hard, it's, you know, as a champion for women, as, you know, a feminist, I always want to make sure that I'm never bringing men down because I don't think that all men are, you know, out to, you know, hold women back or whatever. I don't because there have been incredible men that have really helped me along in my career and just personally. And I am so thankful and grateful for them. And I think sometimes what ends up happening is these sweeping statements come out like, oh, all men, you know, all men 
in finance or, you know, like boiler room or something like that. And yeah, like I've seen that. But at the same time, there's also been really good men that have given incredible advice and have, you know, really helped. And so I think we just need to acknowledge that. And and I agree with you. And I, I've experienced it too. In the finance world, it was much more so the the good men that acted more like advocates and mentors than some of the women. And that was also something that, you know, you're a college person coming into the work world. You think that, you know, everybody's going to help you. (laughs) That's where I was naive. But no, that they were sort of protective. And I do hope that it's not like that as much anymore. I, I do hear stories that it is still sort of like that. But you know, companies like yours and other incredible companies that are focused on humanity, I think some of that is is falling away. Well, I also think that we all gender aside, we all need to remember that every relationship is a two-way street because you have to be value-add, right? We as women, or whether as a woman, as a minority, as a younger person, older person, we should never sit there and expect certain things to be given to us because of our minority status, right? Whether that's in gender or age or ethnic background, right? Because if we really don't want to be treated differently as a minority, then we should also step up and do our part. So in my view, and that means that it's everything has to be a two-way street in value add. So you know, my boss, one of my mentor champion, who I owe a great deal to, told me from day one is that, Wendy, I don't care if you're a woman, man. I don't care if you are a unicorn or you are <laughs> like, it doesn't matter. Basically, he's like, I don't care what you are, who you are. As long as you can make this team, my team look good. You can make my clients happy. Yeah. I, I really don't care anything else. So that was really, really helpful. Yeah. I mean, it sounded cold, but if you think about it, Adrian, if you you break that down, that makes a lot of sense. That actually makes him a fair and a good leader. Does that make sense? A hundred percent. Colorblind, genderblind. He does, right? So then you said, okay, now it comes down to my smarts, my hard work, my resilience, my tenacity. It's on me. Yeah. Oh my gosh, Wendy, I feel like you're bringing up something that is really, really interesting because I do think that we've gone way far to the other side of like everything is like, oh, you're a woman or oh, you're a minority. And there, there is certainly you know, systemic racism. There's so much, like there's so much, it's like impossible to unwind everything. But I love what you're talking about because the people also can take a situation and cast it how they want to perceive it instead of like, look, I don't really care. Like, let's not talk about this. We have a job to do. Let's just do this. I'm not saying this to be harsh because I'm a man and I'm dictating toward you. I'm just saying it like it is. And as a a woman, as a minority, sometimes we have to say like that person who's saying that is just wants to do a good job. And it's hard sometimes to to kind of like tease this all apart. And I think, I think it's a, a level of maturity that also says like, yep, we have a job to do. Like, let's 
push put some things aside for right now. This isn't the time or the place to discuss every single issue that there is in the world. <laughs> like we got we have work to do. Yeah, and and, and precisely. And um, when someone actually takes that perspective, frankly, that's great because it levels the playing field, right? Then yeah. it's all fair game. Yeah. Yeah. And and I again on the topic of two-way street and value add that's every relationship. I mean, yeah. if you think about it, even between child, uh, kids and the parents with our significant others, w- among friends, right? Yep. Since I can bet all my network that <laughs> there is all no the money in Paramount Bank. <laughs> no, but there is no single relationship someone can show me that is sustainable on a one-way street. No, no. And there's never going to be a relationship where you know, whether you you mean to or not, that you're not going to hurt somebody's feelings for being, you know, insensitive or not taking that other person's point of view into perspective. I mean, we are human beings and we are fallible. And as long as we can sort of recognize, ooh, you know, I didn't mean to say that or I didn't mean to hurt that person or I really didn't, you know, I didn't mean it like that. As long as we can all have open communication about all of these things, I think some of these issues can be brought, you know, brought out and and laid on the table and talked about. And I think that that was something I know that, you know, as I was sort of coming up in the finance world, there really wasn't an opportunity to, you know, bring things to light. There, It was very, you know, dismissive and I don't know. I, I don't know what it was, but um, I, I think that there's a lot more openness to having conversations, and I, I you know, I, I like it. I think it's it's good, and I think that with all of this stuff that's going on in the world, that there's got to be some positive change that comes out of it. And I do hope, I mean, I hope that people listening to this podcast, I hope that they hear you speaking. You are an incredible CEO. I can tell, you know, already that you're somebody that sort of has an open door policy. You're very easy to talk to. And you're also super powerful. So that's something that I I feel very inspired by. And I hope that people listening do too. And I do hope that other banks, not to compete, (laughs) not to compete with you, but I do hope that other financial institutions and other companies that are, you know, maybe more, you know, male oriented, some tech companies, I hope that people see this and they say, you know, I can be the CEO of whatever type of company I want to be a CEO of. Yeah. I mean, here, there's, there, there's a lot of business to be done. There's a lot of companies that needs needs our support, meaning bank support. So it is so important that we do not just focus on any sort of um, from a status standpoint, right? Because for us to not to be, if we don't want to be viewed a certain way, then we take the first step, yeah. right? To approach an issue, an environment, a situation, uh, trying to be, you know, age blind, you know, gender blind and, and ethnicity blind, right? We take that first step. Yep. Now, if after taking that first step, if it's not being reciprocated, then you try to address that, right? So that's really, I think, overall, I think if there's one key takeaway, um, that's uh, that. That's my view. Now, again, 
some people may view that maybe, hey, Wendy, that's a naive way to approach it. But it's certainly better than going into a situation already being negative. Yeah, I agree with you. And hey, you know, I, I like this message that, you know, sometimes being naive, quote unquote, and I know that you're not naive, but having maybe, n- n- ugh, I want to say the word correctly. N- n- no, I, I'm not even going to attempt it. No, here, no. choose glass half full versus glass half empty. That is incredible advice. Right. And go into any situation with that mindset. And I, I do believe that you are going to come out with a more positive outcome versus going into a situation thinking that that glass is half full. Right, exactly. So I I think that attitude, I always say the attitude is more than half the battle, right? Because um, I I joke about it, but um, I also mean that, that, you know, unless we're putting men on Mars um, or men on moon or whatever, what we do every day all can be learned, right? With with, With the appropriate amount of training, time and efforts, right? Hard work, we'll get there. And what differentiates a potential success versus a failure is attitude. A hundred percent. Oh, Wendy, I love that. I think that is an amazing point to end. And I would just love it if you could let the listeners know where they could, you know, reach out and connect with you, maybe get some more advice and, and just find Piermont Bank. Sure. So I'm um, I'm easy to be found via LinkedIn, actually. And um, I do check that and uh, I do get back to people. So that probably may be the easiest. Great. And and to... It's under my full name. I'm not disguised under anything else. Okay. So <laughs> Wendy Kylie, Piermont Bank, you'll find me. Great. And people can just go to PiermontBank.com in order to sort of explore mm-hmm. the bank and the offerings. That's amazing. Yeah. And I, I really do hope that more and more banks, more and more other financial institutions, right, whether it's private equity firms, banks, insurance companies, um, it doesn't matter that we more and more people take the approach of just that go in there with a more sort of that colorless lens on it. Yeah. And, and, a, and a glass half full approach too. And I think, I think it, it also can be a lesson to those companies to also look at some of the women entrepreneurs that come through their door and say, you know what, these, these people are our future and let's not put up barriers against them. Let's, let's help them too, because they are the engines of the economy as well. And for far too long, we have been sort of um, not given some of the tools and resources that we've needed. So I'm loving that you're the CEO. I'm loving Paramount Bank. And I'm loving that I have this platform that I can spread the word about what you're doing. And I know that through this podcast, you're going to inspire a lot of women because you've inspired me. Well, thank you very much. And and thank you very much for having a platform like this. And I wish that there was platform, more platforms like yours back in 1995. Yeah, me too. <laughs> <laughs> Wendy, thank you so much. This is wonderful. And um, have a beautiful day. And I will talk to you soon. Yes, stay well. Thank you. Thanks.
This is the She Leads Podcast Network.